Um, this is the season of Easter. You are very welcome to the bridge this morning. Our physical location is on the lands of the semi Amu, Stolo, and Kotlin peoples. That's something that we acknowledge. Uh, it's not our land, but we live here gratefully. Um, I am going to lead us this morning in a lectio. Um, I read this version of Psalm 149 this week and I loved it. So I thought I would share it with you. Um, it was written by or reinterpreted by um, a lady called Christine Robinson. I don't know where she's from, but I just really appreciated the way she reshaped this psalm. Um, and I, uh, I hope that it will speak to us. So let's just pray and then we'll have a look at it. So God of wisdom, open our hearts, open our minds, stretch us a little bit. May we see you more clearly this morning. May we uh, see ourselves and the way that you are reflected in each of us and the way that you are reflected in everyone we see and everything we come into contact with. May you breathe your life into us and into these words as we read them together. Amen. All right, so this is Psalm 149. I'm going to read it three times. Um, this first time, just pay attention to anything that jumps out at you, anything that stands out to you in these words. Okay, so this is Psalm 149. Hallelujah. Praise God by yourself. Praise the one of many names in the congregation of the faithful. Praise him with song and movement. Praise her with silence and stillness. Praise the unnameable in your work, in your rest, in your love, in your anger. Seek the Holy One in the midst of the city and in the heart of the wilderness. See the beloved's imprint in the eyes of friend and foe the sick and the well, the rich and the poor, the citizen and the stranger. Open your heart to the one heart of love and peace. So what stands out to you in those words? Maybe pop that in the chat. Is there a phrase that just sort of shimmers, sparkles? One heart of love and peace. Praise really uplifts me. Yeah. I like the emphasis on praise. Praise God by yourself. The image of Jesus in the person in front of you. See the beloved's imprint in the eyes of friend and foe. Okay, so for our second reading, um, this time I want you to see what it feels like. So what is that phrase that stood out to you? Or maybe another one. How does it feel in your body? Where do you kind of, where do you feel it? Like sometimes we're like, we're so stuck in our heads, we forget that we have this whole body attached. So where, how does that feel? What, is it, what does it feel like? So this is Psalm 149 again. Hallelujah. Praise God by yourself. 
Praise the one of many names in the congregation of the faithful. Praise him with song and movement. Praise her with silence and stillness. Praise the unnameable in your work, in your rest, in your love, in your anger. Seek the Holy One in the midst of the city and in the heart of the wilderness. See the beloved's imprint in the eyes of friend and foe, the sick and the well, the rich and the poor, the citizen and the stranger. Open your heart to the one heart of love and peace. So if you can, what does it feel like? And again, if you if you want to drop that in the chat, you can. Felt very activating in my heart center and then flowed to the rest of my body like peace and relaxation and hope. Restful peace. It was kind of uncomfortable in my gut because I can cannot already see Beloved's eyes in some. Sometimes the right song gives me tingles all over. A little claustrophobic, there's lots going on. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, isn't it, how we all see different things in the text and how we all feel different things. And I think that, that big picture is uh, just gives us a more rounded view of everything. Okay, third time. Um, this time, I want you to listen for anything that you need to carry away with you into the week. Okay, if there's a phrase or something that you need to have as just in the background running um, as you walk into this week. So this is Psalm 149. Just listen for if there's an action or a move you need to make or something for you to carry. Hallelujah. Praise God by yourself. Praise the one of many names in the congregation of the faithful. Praise him with song and movement. Praise her with silence and stillness. Praise the unnameable in your work, in your rest, in your love, in your anger. Seek the Holy One in the midst of the city and in the heart of the wilderness. See the beloved's imprint in the eyes of friend and foe, the sick and the well the rich and the poor, the citizen and the stranger. Open your heart to the one heart of love and peace. So what is it that you need to carry? What is it that you should take with you into this week? Open my heart to the one heart of love and peace. 
praising the her in God too. The idea of opening my heart. Look for the beloved imprint in the eyes of the foe. Yes, easy enough in the friend. It's harder in the foe. All right, so God, we take those things. We hold them in our hands and we carry them with us into this week. May we see you. May we have open hearts. May you breathe your life through us into the world that we interact with. Amen. All right, let's pass it over to Lando. He's going to lead us in communion. Okay, I would like you to use your imagination this morning and try to put your thoughts uh, way back to the, the scene with Jesus and the disciples. Try to put yourself into the shoes of a disciple. And yes, there were uh, female disciples, mostly named Mary, different last names, mind you. <clears throat> but um, so you've been hanging out with Jesus for a while now. Uh, he called you, and uh, there was something that drew you to hang out. And uh, you've been going from village to village. Uh, healings have happened. Uh, some people have been raised from the dead. That was pretty astounding, miraculous. Uh, Jesus was always talking about the kingdom of God, and uh, he would share parables and stories. And sometimes you would understand them right off and sometimes you would be puzzled by them sometimes his meaning was very clear to you and sometimes not and especially in the first year or so it was not as clear but things have been opening up a little bit to you and now it's about three years later and uh you're having the meal you're celebrating the passover the seder which is uh celebrating the liberation of the Israelites from Egypt. And the meal is quite something. Uh, it could be poached fish dumplings, matzo ball soup, brisket or roast chicken, potato kugel, uh, somewhat like a casserole stew of carrots and prunes, maybe potatoes, sweet potatoes. Then uh, a walnut date cake, rich, moist, Texture with ground cinnamon, orange zest, vanilla extra extract with dates, walnuts, bittersweet chocolate, and of course, unleavened bread. And at some point in the meal, or possibly near the end, Jesus grabs a glass of wine and some bread and starts talking about his body and his blood. It was quite a moment. You're there taking this in going, what is going on? Uh, so I'm going to read to you 
uh, how Paul summarizes it in First uh, Corinthians, Corinthians, and then we'll relive it together. <clears throat> For from the Lord I received what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is being broken for your sake. Do this for my remembrance. Likewise, after supping, the cup also saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink for my remembrance. For as often as you eat the loaf and drink the cup, you announce the Lord's death until he comes. So let's do it. If you have something to drink and uh, bread, have a little bite. His body is broken for us. His blood is shed for us. Yes, yes, yes. Our great God, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, help us to always remember this momentous event and live in the significance and freedom that it portrays. Amen. <clears throat> so another momentous occasion now in real life is that we are going to listen to Casey for a little while and uh, excited to uh, hear him uh, speak a little bit let's 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 pray our father we thank you for your love to us today we thank you for the ability to gather together as uh, fellow believers and uh as uh, even in this uh area this arena of zoom uh it's quite convenient and uh make it possible for us to meet. And we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us. And we thank you that you um, have given us your word to break open and to look at it a little bit. And I pray for Casey this morning that you would give him joy and peace and relaxation and uh, that we would learn a little bit together. In Jesus' name, amen. Over to you. Amen. Thanks, Lando. Thanks, Kathy. So this was an interesting one to try and put together. To be honest, all the times in the past couple of years that I've spoken have been interesting. When I saw the passages in the lectionary for this week, I decided to go with the one passage not from the Evangelical Bible, from Solomon's Book of Wisdom. Now, you know, three, four years ago, I probably never would have even considered um, speaking to a church out of a book that's not in the Evangelical canon. But um, here we are. It was one that I didn't really have any history with. Um, so that was kind of good. So here's the passage. I'm just going to go right ahead and read it. So it's Wisdom, chapter 6, verses 12 to 19. And I think Sarah's going to put it in the chat as well for anyone that wants to, to read along. So starting off, it says, Wisdom shines bright 
and never grows dim. Those who love her and look for her can easily find her. She is quick to make herself known to anyone who desires her. Get up early in the morning to find her and you will have no problem. You will find her sitting at your door. To fasten your attention on wisdom is to gain perfect understanding. If you look for her, you will soon find peace of mind. Because she will be looking for those who are worthy of her, and she will find you wherever you are. She is kind and will be with you in your every thought. Wisdom begins when you sincerely want to learn. To desire wisdom is to love her. To love her is to keep her laws. To keep her laws is to be certain of immortality. And immortality will bring you close to God. So I wanted to do something that I, that I often feel is appropriate to do when I read a passage like this. And, and that was to kind of, is to kind of give you my immediate translation, the thing that comes to my head first when I read a passage like this. And it'll kind of show you, probably it reveals a lot about where I've come from and where I'm at right now. Um, so this is my immediate translation. Wisdom is right there in front of you, stupid. It's so easy. If you haven't found it, I mean her yet, you must need to repent. Stop being a slacker. Have your quiet devotional time in the morning so that you start off your day right, and you will find wisdom. If you don't have an understanding of this yet, I guess you're still not doing it right. If you struggle with anxious thoughts, that might be another sign you're doing something wrong. Are you worthy? Have you committed or recommitted your life to Christ? If so, and if you don't have any unconfessed sin, then you'll have perfect wisdom. But if you still feel stupid, then maybe you need to look harder for unconfessed sin. I don't know if anyone has an immediate translation that comes to their mind when they, when they read something like this, but that's kind of where, where I was. Um, so obviously I had to let some of that go so that I could really read the passage and see how it was actually speaking to me. So once I got past that initial reading and that initial translation, I was ready to read it again and see where I landed. Here's some of the questions that I had of the text. First of all, why is wisdom a female character? Don't get me wrong, I think that's great. I mean, God and Jesus historically got to be male characters, which doesn't feel fair. And the Holy Spirit is best personified as a female character, but in most churches, we can't really call spirit a her when we're praying, just in case people get confused and think that we're praying to Mary instead. Anyway, a little side note. Wisdom in some passages is written as sort of a spiritual being that was present since the creation of all things. Interestingly enough, a scripture later on in 1 Corinthians says that Christ has become wisdom. So dwell on that a bit. I don't really have a definitive answer in case you're wondering, but it's interesting that, you know, wisdom is referred to as a female. And then later on in 1 Corinthians, they say that Christ himself has become wisdom. So my biggest critique of the passage was the idea that wisdom is easy to come by. I feel like if it's so easy, then wouldn't we all be perfectly wise? So is it my sincerity that's lacking? Is it my not getting early up, up early enough in the morning? I'm certainly not a morning person. 
um, and getting up early to do devotional time when when that was something that I more regularly did was was always a struggle. And I probably failed most of the time in, in actually getting up early enough. Is it that I haven't asked sincerely enough or often enough for wisdom? What's the problem? Or is it actually that I need to evaluate what my definition what my definition of wisdom has been and go from there? to see if it's actually my understanding that uh, of, a, of a word that may need to change. So when I was young and in my 20s, probably going into my early 30s, my understanding was that all wisdom was exclusively the property of God and Christians who were devout enough. I believed that knowledge gained outside of the church was of little value because the only real wisdom came from scripture and the Holy Spirit through Christian activity. Any person who was considered wise outside of the church was actually just knowledgeable. Knowledge equaled information gathered outside of the Bible or even things that you learn from the Bible without the divine inspiration of how to apply said learning. Wisdom was really the same thing as knowledge, but it was kind of held by Christians. We were the only ones that could hold it. Here are some definitions that I found that likely I would have believed when I was younger. Here's the first one. Wisdom is the practical application of God's truth to a specific situation. Wisdom is knowing what God wants you to do and then doing it. Sounds simple enough. Here's another one. Wisdom is, in fact, a divine gift that is granted by God whenever any believer asks, so only believers could, could attain it. This is the clear teaching of James, apparently. In scripture, here's another one. In scripture theology, wisdom is true religion, godliness, piety, the knowledge and fear of God, and sincere and uniform obedience to his commands. Again, sounds attainable. Here are some other definitions not explicitly from Christian sources. And I think these are actually more accurate definitions of, of what wisdom probably is, according to my understanding now. So Google's top definition when I, when I searched um, was that wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. According to Webster's Dictionary, wisdom is the ability to discern inner qualities and relationships, good sense, and the accumulated philosophical or scientific learning. Confucius says this about wisdom, and I love this quote. I'm going to read it a couple times. So he said, by three methods, we may learn wisdom. First, by reflection, which is noblest. Second, by imitation, which is easiest. And third, by experience, which is the bitterest. I'm going to read that again. So Confucius says, by three methods, we may learn wisdom. First, by reflection, which is noblest. Second, by imitation, which is easiest. And third, by experience, which is bitterest. According to author Scott McKnight, wisdom is the fruit of observation, experience, and receptivity to instruction. So there are sort of three common themes that I saw going through most of the most of the definitions that weren't specifically uh, theological or conservative biblical definitions. Um, and that's what I'm going to spend the rest of my time talking about. 
So the first thing that I found present was the idea of knowledge or how to apply knowledge. Second was experience. Third is or was judgment or discernment. So jumping in, I grew up, again, believing that the only true source of wisdom came from the Bible. I don't know if that sounds familiar to anyone. Any other wisdom was considered worldly wisdom and would always be second best. If you wanted to know how to treat your spouse, you would look to the scriptures. If you wanted to know how to raise your children, again, look to the scriptures. Or writers who had good interpretations for what those scriptures were actually saying. You know, those approved writers that we, that we as more conservative versions of Christians could read. So I grew up in a charismatic tradition that valued the idea of the Holy Spirit revealing scripture to us. The problem, though, was that I didn't learn how to properly apply any sort of literary critique to what I was reading. And I was so desperate for God to speak to me that I could make almost any passage perfectly fit my life if I meditated on it long enough. If someone had a problem, a good, wise Christian knew the right application for scripture that would blow that person's socks off. So here's my first story. Matt and I, met at Starbucks and became good friends fairly quickly. He remains this day uh, basically family to me. We have a lot in common. Conversation was always really easy. Sharing our lives with each other was always really easy. Uh, he lived with my wife and I for the period of about, about a year before he moved down when we were all still living in Prince George. My younger brother and I could, could we just had this easy banter with him that, was, that always just felt really natural. So anyway, Matt and I were out for coffee one day. I don't really remember what we'd been talking about, but I remember that we were both, that he was sort of venting to me, maybe complaining a little bit, but trying to share with me that he was having money problems. We were both students and really neither of us had much money, but to give some more background, I was one that grew up with this idea that if you make sure to always tithe, you will be more prosperous than those who did not tithe. So all of a sudden, as if out of nowhere, I said, Matt, I hope this isn't too personal, but do you practice tithing? I think he answered something like, not regularly. Again, we were from different traditions. I proceeded to tell him all about how I thought it would solve all of his money problems if he would start to tithe regularly. I'm not sure why, but I ended up preaching about my experience with tithing and how it had literally been the reason that my wife and I didn't have any money problems. For some reason, even though my wife and I were faithful budgeters who lived well below our means, I didn't start there. After the conversation was over, I ended up sort of just feeling like I needed to ask him if that was weird, that I just preached at him for an hour. And he graciously said no. Um, and again, we remain really good friends to this day. Um, so obviously I didn't offend him too much, but looking back on the conversation, I don't actually think my words to him were words of wisdom, um, but something else. My older self would probably try to ask more questions, let him do more of the talking rather than, well, preaching a monologue to him for a period of time. So at the time, I thought I had much knowledge, and I thought I knew how to apply it by giving good advice. But 
looking back, I, I think I wouldn't do it that way now. So second was this idea of experience. So I'm only 38 years old, but I feel like I've had a few fairly difficult experiences, particularly surrounding my, my faith and my life journey. So one of these experiences is the main reason that my wife and I uprooted our lives and moved to Abbotsford. So part of my upbringing in my religious tradition told me that I shouldn't ever trust my experience over the Bible. The practical version of this was that if I was sick, I was supposed to never admit it because the Bible said that I'm healed. The symptoms or experiences were actually lies, and the Bible was the truth. Does that sound familiar to anyone? About two years before we moved to Abbotsford, I decided to leave my job with Northern Health as a financial analyst and work for the church, which had always been a dream of mine. Working for church, working for the church was among the happiest I'd ever been in a job until it wasn't. See, in order to work for the church full time, I actually had to displace my own mother who had been working under, uh, who'd been working a few hours a week as church admin. Like, I just look back at that now and think how messed up was that, that, that I took a job that meant that my mom couldn't continue working for the church. So not only that, but my parents had been living under a tremendous amount of stress because they were also elders in this church and had a fairly major disagreement with the senior pastor and his wife about basically the transition plan of the church to new pastors. This was a church where the pastors made basically all the decisions and everyone else was basically there to be yes men. So it all ended with my parents being um, removed from their role as pastor, uh, as elders, and basically pushed out of the church, again, for basically refusing to be yes men. My brother and his family were, same thing basically happened to them because they, they confronted the pastors and sided with my parents. But I was in my dream job. And though I sided with my parents, for some reason I decided to stay because not only was this again, my dream job, but I didn't want to damage the church any more than I felt it had already been damaged with, with my parents being pushed out. And there was a part of me that wanted to protect my parents and, and try to stand up for them from within. So I'm sure some of you can imagine, but I started experiencing some very profound uh, hurt over this, confusion and anxiety. I'd known this pastor my entire life. He's the one that I'd grown up with as the pastor of our church. I thought I was doing this thing that God had called me to do, and yet it was almost as like this veil was being torn, so to speak. I was seeing behind the curtain of how my pastor dealt with people who didn't agree with him. So I remember that there were times when I was trying to confront it and trying to process it after that I would start conversations with him where I felt strongly one way leading into the conversation. And then the conversation would end with me believing that either I was misinterpreting it or that I was in fact the problem. But I wasn't supposed to let my experiences dictate the truth to me, so I stayed. This all happened in, in around May, and the summer that followed was one of the hardest of my life. I was taught that if I stayed rooted and planted, according to, according to scripture, that I would flourish. After the summer, I finally realized that this 
wasn't going to work out. My stress and anxiety levels were so high that something had to give. So after a couple more months, I handed in my resignation. I thought that by moving to a different city and becoming part of basically a younger version of the same church, that I was truly following again this path that God had set out for me and my wife. But after a short time with this church, my anxiety levels were about as high as they had ever been when I was at my old church. It wasn't until about another year and maybe a half or a few months later when my wife and I permanently left this specific style of church that after that I began to see a real improvement in my mental health. A little bit of background, I didn't deal with anxiety uh, of any kind really um, until I started working at the church. So it wasn't this chronic thing that, that I'd lived with my entire life. So to my surprise, I learned that I, I wasn't anxious because I didn't have a good enough relationship with God. I wasn't anxious because I wasn't believing the right things, but it's because I learned that I was constantly hiding who I was around certain church people. I know I can't change the past, um, but I've since learned many important lessons from this time in my life. I've also learned to pay more attention to what my own body is telling me. I also think this experience taught me many things about the sort of community that I would want to be a part of in the future. One where all of my flaws, all of my doubts, fears, disagreements were things, weren't things that I needed to hide, that I could, that I could be as much of my true self as I wanted in front of people. So the last piece of this wisdom that, that, you know, I hope that as I get older that I continue to learn is discernment. So have you ever heard someone say they're a good judge of character? In my 20s, being a good judge meant evaluating someone based on whether they appeared to follow biblical morality. But that's not all. From a young age, I think many people are taught that this judging is actually quite simple. And I think parents do it in order to protect their children. I think it's a very natural thing. But you've probably heard some of these things before or variations of them. If a stranger talks to you, then they're probably dangerous. So just don't talk to them. Stranger danger. If someone offers you drugs, the answer is always no, except when there's commercials and um, things like, you remember that commercial drugs, 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 that song, some are good, some are bad. Ask your mom, ask your, ask your dad. That came to my mind for some reason. If a non-Christian gives you any kind of wisdom, they're just offering you secular and worldly knowledge. So you should probably just ignore it and let it kind of filter right through your head, one ear in one ear through the other. People older than you should always be respected. Yeah, sounds like, you know, simple enough. And finally, in fact, you should just stay away from anyone who isn't a Christian because they're likely to cause you to turn away from your faith, you know, bad company, corrupting good morals and all that. And again, I think that for a time, some of these lessons are, are important to teach, teach your children. Um, but for me, a lot of these things stayed with me longer than maybe they should have. I wasn't able to, to move past them and, and see the complexity, what I would think was maybe, maybe early enough in my, in my 20s. 
The question is, can you even really have discernment when you already have made up your mind about someone or something? I would learn that my previous assumptions would start to crumble as I actually met and became friends with the people that I was told to avoid. One of these people uh, remains one of my closest friends to this day, uh, again from Prince George, his name is Mark. When I was still, yeah, and I get that, you know, the two people that I've talked about are both um, gospels, but uh, that's just an interesting side note. When I was still a university student, Mark and I worked together at Starbucks. Again, Starbucks is a theme here, apparently. I didn't know much about him, except that he was always trying to get people from work uh, to go out and play this game called disc golf with him, which I had never heard of. One day I decided to take him up on it and we sort of started hanging out. One day we were still kind of in these early stages of our friendship. We didn't know each other super well. Um, I knew that he wasn't religious, didn't really bother me. Um, but we were out playing a game of disc golf and he says to me something along the lines of, Casey, I know I'm your manager at Starbucks, but I feel like I can trust you to not reveal this about me to people we work with. So do you mind if I smoke a joint? To my surprise, the sincere answer that came from my mouth was not at all, go ahead. This was about 14 years ago. So cannabis wasn't legalized yet. And I feel like he probably didn't know if he would get into trouble as a manager at the Starbucks if it came out that not only was he smoking weed, but doing it in front of one of his employees. Point is, whether he knew it or not at that moment, he judged at that moment or discerned at that moment that it wouldn't bother me. And the fact was that he was right. Again, this was to my great surprise because I always thought that it was this heinous act to hang out with someone like that. You know, I knew better. I think that because of that one day, we would become the kind of friends that can be completely honest and upfront with each other. And again, probably more so with him than I have with any of my other guy friends, we, you know, we've been able to share our lives together and he's not a Christian. He's not religious at all. I would learn over many more times hanging out just how differently we saw the, we saw the world. So how did this work? How do we become friends when we were so different from one one another on things that I thought were supposed to be so important and were the basis of a good, a good serious friendship. In my opinion, he had this ability to discern someone and kind of get beyond all of those surface things um, or things that he thought were surface things. Um, and, and just, he had this ability to trust that we could be friends. And I sometimes wonder if that was the start of me realizing that people are so much more than their fate, their sexuality, their lifestyle, I could go on. And if I could learn to see people where they, where they were and where they are, I would find that people were precious and worthy of my love and time, regardless if they believed the right things. So for me, I was able to start to strip away some of my preconceived ideas and general biases about people and really just get to know them for who they were. To me, that was a huge part of learning discernment and good judgment. So to wrap this up, I went from thinking the Bible was the only source of wisdom 
to believing that wisdom is learned from gaining and applying knowledge from a variety of sources, experiencing life and reflecting back on those experiences, and learning that people are so much more than the biases that I hold, and that only through relationship can I begin to learn discernment. Upon first reading this passage, again, it felt quite daunting and unrealistic. I thought this is like the standard that none of us can attain to. But once I opened my mind to the reality that wisdom is a journey, it relieved some of the pressure. When I can view wisdom as collective rather than individualistic, it makes me realize that I'm not on my own in this pursuit. When I reread the passage in light of what I've shared this morning, it gives me hope that seeking wisdom is not a daunting pursuit, but one that I'm naturally doing as I learn to open myself up. And the, that scripture that I've mentioned at the beginning in 1 Corinthians is chapter 10, I believe. Um, to me, that really sums up this idea that, that God and Jesus are drawing all things to themselves um, and reconciling all things to themselves when it says that Christ has become wisdom. And if, you know, if, if I believe and if we believe that Christ is in all, working through all, then, then I can really begin to see that wisdom can be in all of creation, not just in a small part of it. So let's pray. God of creation, we thank you that, that you've created us in such a way that, that we can have conversations like this, that you've created us in a way that we can learn from experience and that you created us in a way that we can see beauty in all of your creation. Open our eyes that we may see more clearly. Open our hearts that we may be better at discerning those around us and, and open our hands that we may be open to the experiences that are around us. Amen. Amen, thank you, Casey. Welcome. Good job. I um, thank you for sharing a part of your story with us. That was um, a brave, a brave thing mm -hmm. to kind of dig into all of that history that you have and um, pull out that. Thanks for listening to your experience too. Like, um, if it, it sounded like you, you kind of moved towards the end of what Confucius said of the, you know, experience is the bitterest, but really that's wisdom. So mm -hmm. thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, so thanks for being here this morning. And uh, let's just pray. So, God, I thank you for these lovely, lovely people. And I thank you for your wisdom that is uh, in the air between us and held in community and held in you. And, God, I pray that we would see you in the eyes of friend and enemy this week, that we would um, see you in the earth around us, that you would speak your wisdom to our hearts as we need it. And that you would give us the humility to listen at every step along the way. Amen. Bless you and have a great week. And we are back here online again next Sunday because we don't have the building. Uh, somebody got there before us. So uh, see you next Sunday back here. Take care. Bye, everyone.